for Psalm 84. Uh, the year has just begun. Here we are just a few weeks in and many are struggling to find peace. Many are struggling to find strength and I just see that there is stress coming from all over. You entered 2023 with this stress. It wasn't like you just woke up in 2023, day one, right? And there it was. It, you brought it into the new year. You couldn't help but do so. And so we're going to continue after this week in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and we'll be jumping around there even as we get into the spring. But as we wade through 1 Corinthians, I thought, man, we need to be reminded of what we are after as a church and reset our hearts on living and longing for God's presence so that we can hear and obey the difficult exhortations that are graciously given to us in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we'll see if we were to put a series label over that, what is the title of that, uh, we'd say, man, this is a guide for a troubled church. And it does that. It guides us. It'll guide us. It guided First Corinthian, guided the Corinthian church and the troubles they face. And we look forward to it guiding us in the troubles we will inevitably face. So, but to obey that guide, to be able to hear and receive the challenges, we need to have hearts set on our permanent citizenship. Yes, amen. You know, the older I get, the more I just desire to be home. Anybody? Does that resonate with anybody? I used to bother me so much that my dad, when he comes to visit, you know, the first, you know, he walks around like he's an old man. He's 80-something years old, but to me, he's my young dad still, and so I get on him for acting like an old man. And he walks around, and he's, when he's there, he's just kind of dragging his feet and just, you know, moving kind of slow. But, boy, when it's time for him to go home, man, I think one of my kids is up in the morning running around the house. <laughs> he is packing that car and carrying out the suitcases, and I'm like, Dad, come on, man. you got to quit this act of pretending to be an old man. But he just likes to go home, and so he, you know, it brings the youth back to him. And uh, so I can, I started, that's starting to resonate with me. I like my place. I like to be home. Home is where you typically have things just like you want them. And I'm not just talking about being, it being cozy and the color scheme. I'm talking about peace, even. Rest from being, it happens when you're in your own space. Now, so much of my trouble, though, begins, and our trouble begins, when our ultimate desire is for this home here, right? So you see where I'm going. I think we see where the psalmist is going. In fact, the reason we sin so much, the reason we find gratitude hard to come by, the reason uh, anxiety, we find that hard to beat, the reason we are quick to anger is because we become fixated on this temporary home. Some of us live alone in our home. Some of us live with other people. Some have a roommate. Others have a spouse, brothers, sisters, moms, dads. Sharing space with others right, can greatly enrich your home experience, but it can also complicate it. Yeah. I heard an amen in that laugh. <laughs> you see, for some, hopefully for many, your home is a place, in fact, that you look forward to. It's your refuge. You are strengthened there and encouraged. But it's true. Even now, as I mentioned that, your heart is grieved. Because for you, your home is sometimes like a war zone. Or if not that bad, you wouldn't say you find rest there. You look forward to other spaces that sort of function as your escape or your home, right? You do your best to spend time in those places. For me, as I said, though, I love being home, but I want that home to be a certain way. And there are days when it's that way, 
And there are days when it's not that way, right? There are days when we've got all the chores done and everyone's home and getting along. But there are days when it's not like that. And trouble comes, right? I'm talking about my home, right? My home, 121 East Freeman, Bolivar, Missouri, 65613, okay? Is anybody listening on the Internet that's... I guess now they can come and get me. I don't know. Not sure why I gave my address, but I was trying to get you to focus on what I'm talking about, home. All right? But there I am at home, and, you know, it, the trouble comes. We sinfully offend one another. Right? I mean, think of me. Think of my kids. We become touchy and easily offended. Now think of you. Right? You're probably like that too. Men, let me speak to you. We have to be so very careful of how we handle our home. First, in our homes, right, the trouble is there. We have to acknowledge that. The trouble's there. But sometimes, men, we are the trouble, right? And often we are tempted to be easily offended by the trouble, even when we're technically not the direct cause of the trouble. Right? You look at your attitude or your tone in your home. Sometimes an attitude or a tone that is put off that nobody else sees, right? But those in your home. Right? We can withdraw. Men, I'm still talking about you. We can withdraw because of pressures we face, or we can become overbearing. I think it's good for us to consider uh, and understand that when these are our responses to trouble that comes and trouble that we face, we lead our family down paths of destruction. And it's easy, I'm back to all of us, it's easy to blame the busy schedule, the finances, the tired and sore body. It's easy to blame the disobedient child. It's easy to blame the wife or the husband. Too often these things become the easy target. But it's important as those with the spiritual mind of Christ that we understand that those things aren't the target. They're just the fruit of the problem. They're not themselves the problem. Men, now when I think of problems, we've been accused, the stereotype, that we like to just attack the problem and deal with the problem, right? Which could be a good thing, but we often attack the wrong problem, right? We often attack the fruit and not the root. For some, our natural leaning as men is to be a bulldog and demand, not seek, as God says, to understand. Men, we are the stronger vessel. But we must have the right interpretation of what this means. It doesn't primarily mean that we can carry larger things. Right? It doesn't mean that primarily that we can beat things up. Right? It means, it, it also means, or even more so, that we bring emotional, spiritual stability. That's how it should be. And as I was thinking about this and this desire for home and what this, this uh, eyes fixed on a permanent home, what it can do to us, how it can help stabilize us, I was looking, though, at what destabilizes me and us when we try to make this place home. And I just came into my mind a, a picture to ship at sea. And the water's nice, Right? And I see the men at the helm driving the big ship, right? The man's at the helm. The water's nice. Look what I've accomplished, right? Look at my ship. Look how well it's going. But then I had this image. The sea begins to rage. And sadly, many men in the church begin to, at least this is the image I had, that they run frantic, like a frantic beast on board the ship as their storms rage. They let go of the helm. 
And they start to respond to the waves that are crashing against the sea. And, and they run around like a frantic beast on board the ship. Or some, maybe not that, but they hide in the belly. And the woman, well, she's left there to take the helm. See, too often we long, we desire, we want our home, our castle to look and be a certain way that we sinfully put everyone in the pressure cooker of our demands. And what better come out of the pressure cooker is just that, our demands and our desires. You know, and in this, everybody starts feeling this pressure to bend and respond a certain way in order to keep the peace. And there are times as a result that this pressure that that there is this peace that's been created. There are times when you experience that harmony, that home sweet home. But in this setup, that sweet picture of home slips right out of our hands. It comes and goes. It's here and then it's not. Anybody experience that? It's up and then it's down. It's this cycle. A cycle that we often experience in our own personal journeys with the Lord, but then when we're in the home setting, as that is reflective in our own life, it's then shared and experienced by all those that were around and up and down, highs and low lows. This is why a home can look so well put together. It's for these reasons, right? It can look well and put together on the outside, but then a small storm can come and prevail against it. And everyone on the outside is thinking, how did this home fall apart? And so as I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians, as we're getting into it, I'm thinking about our own church. And we've said this here before, but you just think about how fragile we are. Right? Think about how fragile your own home is, but think about how fragile this Home is here, this church home. There's lots of positive things we could speak to and say about the gift that the Lord has given us here in this body of believers. But we also recognize there is a sense in which it's fragile. And you know why it's fragile, and it's important for us to say so. It's fragile because of our flesh. It's not fragile because the Lord... Uh, is not reliable, it's fragile because we are fleshly. Now, I want us to think, not just of your home, I do want us to think of that as we look at this text and protecting your own personal home from trouble, but think of our home here, our church home, and what do we need to do? In both cases, we long for a home, so let's reflect what we're longing for. That's what this psalm is about, longing for God's house. And maybe this is our problem sometimes that causes us to not deal with the trouble we're in appropriately because we're longing for the wrong things. But as we think about our home, in the church home, right, or in our residence, we will long for a place where we're respected, right? We long for a place and to be part of a place where you're cared for. We long for a place where we are secure. We long for a home that is safe. We long for a home where we never have anything to fear, where we are unconditionally accepted, and our thoughts and opinions and desires are heard and understood. We long for a home where we are always embraced, unconditionally loved. And you say, man... I didn't hear any bad thing there, right? Well, none of those things in and of themselves are bad. In the flesh, though, we must confess and recognize all of us long for a home in the flesh that serves our own interest. So we can take these good things that would be good to strive after and they can be tainted with our own selfish desires. It is a fleshly temptation for all of us to run after a home, to try to build a home that is 
free from anxiety, fear, jealousy, hatred, right? Naturally, we would want to do this, right? The truth is we want to live in a home that produces emotions of love, joy, peace, compassion, patience, mercy, feelings of contentment, right? That home where you can take shelter out from under the storm, Right, that kind of home is lovely and pleasant. Who doesn't want to be in that kind of home where you're safe? Right, and you can relax and enjoy where you feel like, hey, everything is going to be okay. Here's the deal, though. Those are great things. I long for that. I think in your heart of hearts, you long for that. But the problem is, and this is where we as believers understand this point right here and we ought to be the ones that understand it more than anybody else we ought to be the ones that understand it and are able to communicate it more than anybody else but that is that all those nice things that a person would want and ought to want in a home we ought to be able to stand up and let one another know remind one another and let the world know that the problem is that the world cannot deliver us that type of home. You see? It can't give us that. It cannot give us that type of home. We have often said this world was never meant to be home, and when we try to make it home, we become depressed, among other things. On the other hand, when we long for and desire and want our true and better home, we can experience peace even while living in the turbulence and trouble our earthly homes can bring our way. The psalmist here in Psalm 84 is longing for this true and better home. The temple, as we enter there in Psalm 84, the temple was a place of worship in Old Testament times that was located there in Jerusalem. It was where God's presence was and this was where God met with his people. It was God's house. And so it was that God's people would make trips or take pilgrimage to go and gather together and worship the Lord. There are other psalms that give reference to this type of journey and the joy and excitement that filled the heart of the individuals that they would get ready, kind of like y'all get ready for vacation to go and it's, it's exciting and you're headed off to go to the beach or to go to the mountains or whatever. And man, there's other psalms that indicate, man, the people of God as they would get their families packed up and get ready to go on pilgrimage, there was this excitement and joy. Why? Because they were looking forward in great anticipation to go and be in the presence of God there in the temple God's home with God's people it was exciting that's what they they like planned and I mean they were looking forward to it and even when we read other psalms even when they couldn't get there and it seems reading this psalm that when they sang it and thought about it even when they sang and thought about it it buoyed their souls even though in some cases they might have found themselves in exile, unable to get to, temple, to the temple to worship, or it could be a time where the temple was in ruins, and yet regardless, this longing to gather in God's house with God's people, there in the presence of God, just to think about it, was like medicine to their soul. That's how good it was, just to think of it. Now, I like apple pie, but... Thinking of it doesn't satisfy. Do you understand what I'm saying? I got to eat it. Right? That, and what I'm telling you right now is that what we see here in the song, the meditating and thinking of being in the presence of God, that in of itself, it buoyed their souls. Wow. That is the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And the present, the promised presence that we have by faith. That he is with us even now. Buoyed their soul. The presence of God was like medicine. Medicine. It reminded them of how true their confession was from Psalm 73, 25. We're familiar with this. Who do I have in heaven but you? Right? And I desire nothing on earth but you. The recognition. The recognition. Homes in this life 
cannot replace our home in heaven. It's a recognition that the presence of God, that recognition is a recognition. Christians, this is what we're supposed to, this is part of our confession. This is part of our confession. What we are saying, we are recognizing that the presence of God is not a vain pursuit. Right? It, it, it's not an unattainable pilgrimage. We are on it now, and it is made available to us by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. The presence of God is accessible. And the only vain pursuit, and this is what the world needs to hear, so they quit wasting their life, right? And some of us need to be reminded and, and hit the reset button so we quit wasting our life. But the world needs to hear, some of us in here need to hear, that the only vain pursuit is chasing after this life and using all our energies and resources and work as if this here was our primary residence. We want to be able to sing Psalm 84 with the psalmist, understanding that this world is not our home. We are just strangers passing through. Throughout the psalm, we hear one resounding theme ring true. This longing, longing, yearning, desire. Here it is. One resounding theme. This is the psalmist, Right? I want to be in the presence of God. That I am fixated on this thing. So I want. There's lots of things that can satisfy. There's lots of joys and blessings that God gives me in this life. And there's lots of good food. And there's, uh, I love being with my wife and kids and whatever in my home. But there's only one thing that ultimately satisfies being in the presence of God. Nothing else, everything else, we'll say it this way, pales in comparison to that one thing. That's the psalmist. I want to be in the presence of God. And the song clarifies what it is about the presence that causes him to want it more than anything else. And now we'll read some of it. <laughs> All right? Now we'll read some of it. Beginning in verse 1. And I'll read through 4. So we're taking a slightly different approach here this morning. We see permanence. A permanent home. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Ah, I pray it does this morning. I know I need it to. And, and the psalmist in other places has to do this as well. It's like we command ourselves, command our soul, our will to hope in God. Right? <laughs> to cry out to God. Verse 3. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my king and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Look there at the beginning. How lovely. How lovely it says. Right? All of us would like to live in a lovely home. But what makes a place lovely? Well, here, what makes the place so lovely is it's the residence of the Lord of armies, right? And, you know, it seems, if you're thinking about a home and you want it to be like a place of, of, of you know, comfort, and it's like, why isn't it the, you know, the butler of butlers? Why is it the Lord of armies? Are you following or did I just... You know, it's like, because a nice butler, it would be nice to be joined by a butler. No, it's the Lord of armies. Why? Right, we, and I just pause, I think, here's why. In our earthly homes, earthly pursuits, what are we battling for in our lives? We're battling for peace, aren't we? Everybody, even people not in the, like they're battling for peace in their own soul, okay? But we go about it the wrong way, so we don't get peace. 
Because peace, when our heart is lost in sin or blind to sin, peace is getting what we want. And guess what? That doesn't bring peace. As James says, we want and we bite. So we bite and devour each other. We're saying, well, we just want peace. We're in, in our pursuit of this kind of peace, we're hurting each other and getting war instead. See, it's true, a battle does have to be fought to get peace. And the lovely home we are after, right, it wouldn't be so lovely if it didn't have peace. And that is why I believe the text says, the Lord of armies, because a butler couldn't secure peace for us. You follow on what I'm saying? Is the Lord of armies, because only the Lord of armies can secure our peace, can secure our residence, can secure a home and make it lovely. It's the Lord of armies, right? Let's take it further. It's the Lord of armies taking, put my flesh to death. Huh? Yeah? And, and it's my flesh. It's my sin that destabilizes my experience of home. Right? It's my my flesh that gets in the way, and only the Lord of armies can kill my flesh. Right? Only the Lord of armies can enable me to walk in the Spirit and enable us even now to walk in the loveliness of His presence and not in the destructive cravings of my flesh. Only the Lord of armies can provide that for me. How I long for the dwelling, the lovely dwelling place where the Lord of armies is present. Because that means all the battles that could be had have been fought and won. If the Lord of armies is there, you follow? If the Lord of all the armies is there and I'm seeking that permanent residence, I'm seeking that place, right? And he's there. All the battles that, that need to be fought have been fought and won because he is victorious over all of it. And there's peace. How, how lovely, I think. Permanent presence of God brings ultimate peace when we build our home, heart's life in him, he assures us of that peace. Next we see verse 2, the permanent home is all satisfying, right? 2 and 4, I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. We cry out for things even now, right, right now, like this week. You were crying out for things that you believe would satisfy, okay? Like let's get real basic here. When I'm thirsty, right, what do I do? I cry out for water or tea or coffee, right? When I'm hungry, I cry out for food. This is what I want, right? I cry out for things I think I need, things I think I deserve, and I cry out. I even demand. Why? Why do I demand? And, right, other people get in your way. If you really think you need that, what happens to those people? Well, they become casualties, right? Because you are demanding something that you will believe will satisfy you and nothing's going to stop you from going after that, right? There are so many things in this life to long and yearn for, but this psalmist says he yearns for the courts of the Lord, right? That is the ultimate. He cries out for them, his heart and flesh. He, he, you see that? It says his heart and flesh cry out. He realizes that, and I think the heart and flesh crying out for the Lord, yearning for the Lord is saying that he's saying that it's the presence of God that satisfies him on every level. Physically, is better with the Lord, right? Emotionally, it's better. The living God is all satisfying. And we move to verse 4, and the psalmist expresses even more just how satisfying. Are you experiencing this satisfying God? The psalmist says to us just 
How satisfying by saying there in verse 4, how happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. How happy are you happy in the Lord? The joy unspeakable, the presence of God, this permanent home, all satisfying. Some of you know the hymn. It's kind of like the hymn that says, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told. I have found the pleasure I once craved. It is joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing. I am saved from the awful gulf of sin. You see, when we understand what we have in Christ and the invitation to the all-satisfying presence of the Lord and this future permanent home that we have access to, we can say this is the happiest place to be. And people may look at it as funny because they thought it was Disney World or whatever, right? They say, no, it's with Christ, the happiest place to be. We have this invitation to the all-satisfying presence of the Lord, right? What a wondrous blessing it is. What a wondrous blessing. So we celebrate. We celebrate this, that we can experience this even now, right now, as his gathered church. What does he promise? When two or three of you are gathered in his name, there I am in your midst. Church, he is present right now. Be satisfied. Like, stop and pause. Just for this moment. Maybe it helps. For me, it sometimes helps to close my eyes and say, wait, do I believe? Like, I'm a follower of Christ. He says where two or three are gathered in the same. There he is in our midst. Like, do I recognize even now that he is present? Right here, Jesus is with us. I don't know what chair he's sitting in. But he's here, right? By the power of his spirit, he is present in this place. Verse 3, we see inside this permanent home, and what do we see? Look at verse 3. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, Lord of armies, my king and my God. We look at what he is providing, and what do we see? And hear this this morning. Hear this for you personally right now. There's room. There's room. That's what that says in verse 3. There's room. Now Jesus' cure for anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew was to point to a sparrow. That's why my mind goes there. Right? It's to point to birds of the air. He says there in Matthew, and let's repeat that passage, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he goes on, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own Jesus's cure for anxiety is to point to his provisions for the birds of the air like that's what he does as he's talking about what it looks like to be cured from anxiety he points to these birds and here in this psalm as we think of the opportunity to dwell in the presence of the almighty he is providing, and here, it's, it, there's a connection, church. He is providing us, God, in Psalm 84 there, is providing us assurance that there is room. There is room. Even a sparrow, see it there? Even a sparrow finds a home near your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. And if there is room for a, an insignificant, dirty little bird, then there must be room for you and I. Right? That's what he's saying there in the Sermon on the Mount. And I would say to you, let the assurance of Almighty God, right? King of kings, 
Let him sweep away then your anxiety because he has provided you room. <laughs> oh, how Christ's work on the cross makes possible. It makes possible this task of giving us a room in a home where we don't need to be anxious, right? He died for the weak, the small, the insignificant, the unholy, the unrighteous, for Christ is the righteous one, suffered for our sins. We were the unrighteous, and he did this in order to be our substitute, to take our punishment so that we could be what? So that we could be brought into the presence of God. We come to him, I guess you could say, right, as dirty little birds. But the blood spilt out at his death on the cross cleanses us from our sin so that we can be brought safely into his presence. There's room. There's room. With God, there is an invitation to a permanent home, a permanent dwelling, a home. You've heard it. Home is where you hang your heart. You with me? My mom used to make these crafts. She got herself a bandsaw, boy, and she made enough money off of that bandsaw to probably pay for it a hundred times over. She is a very resilient woman and efficient and all those things. And she would make these little crafts that said, home is where you hang your heart. But you know, the truth is that the residence of God, the home of God, is the only safe place to hang your heart. Where are you hanging your heart? Where are you hanging your heart this morning? Second, we see the psalmist long for God's presence because there is strength in God, verses 5 through 9. It says, Happy are the people whose strength is in you. And I, I'm thinking, you guys, we're needing to be, some of you, many of us right now. I know. Like, I'm needing God's strength. And it says, happy are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a source of spring water, even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, right? Each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob, consider our shield. God, look on the face of your anointed one. Verse 5, when our strength is in God, he fills our cup. Right? That's what we see. Happy are the people whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. When our hearts are filled and content in the Lord, that is how we experience strength. Strength from God, you see, cannot be depleted. And that enables us and drives us in our lives, right? How we live our lives, what we focus on. And the psalmist is saying that he's happy because his strength is in the Lord. It's a strength that can't be depleted. And he's happy because there, it says it, his heart is set on pilgrimage. That is this journey after the Lord, right? And he is happy and strong because of where he is focused on going. You see what I'm saying? And nobody can take that away from him, right? If you focus on running after the Lord, you understand that if that is your focus... Right? If you're laser beamed on that, do you understand that God will make sure that nothing gets in the way? Right? So that is why he has reason to be happy because no one can stop him. I can set out for a vacation, like I said earlier, to the beach or to mountain, and so it's easy. A flat tire can put a stop to that or a blown up engine or what have you, right? That anybody can stop that. But if I set my heart on pilgrimage, that is to the presence of God, God is assuring us that nobody can stop us. So I'm happy. I'm happy and strong. He's happy and strong because of where he is focused on going. Where are you focused on going? 
right? You can count it if it's to the presence of God. You can count on the strength of the Lord getting you there. Do you hear that assurance this morning? You see, when we are longing for God's house, the wants and desires of our hearts go beyond the here and now and are anchored in heaven's economy. And the result is that those desires and longings are immune to any threat. You hear that? Nothing can shake you, right? If, if you're set, if you're fixed, and I'm talking about, we got into this a discussion in our community group, man. It's like this is what it is to be a real man. Everybody's talking about reclaiming masculinity. The only thing that can help anybody truly reclaim masculinity is understanding what it means to be in Christ. Right? And that's what this is getting at, right? If God is for me, who can be against me? If I set my complete agenda on heaven's economy, then you can take everything from that man and it doesn't faze him. Do we see it? And it's exciting. And I can live passionate and keep running forward even when things are falling down around me. That person, that man of God, that woman of God, because of their desires, they're untouchable. In the sense, but quite the opposite of true when our longings and desires are rooted in the economy of this, this world in our flesh. We asked the question then this morning for you to write down and take with you and to always actually keep this in front of you. By the way, just, you know, because we, we have to live in constant state of repentance and faith, right? Because our flesh is real, active, and alive. And so uh, we have to just keep running after the Lord, right? And And... And it's a good question to put in front of you. What destination is written on the road map of your heart? Is it the pursuit of God or the pursuit of happiness in this life? As we run after the pursuit of God, we will certainly find that we can count on the strength of the Lord getting us there. Verse 6 and 7, strength in God is our sustaining source. We see it there. Listen. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. See, this, this psalmist is not under any illusion that, that because he's with God that life is going to be easy. As he passes through the valley... Baca, make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God and Zion on this journey to go and worship the Lord in his sanctuary. They traveled on highways and through the wilderness. Okay, That's what they did back then. That's what this psalmist is referring to. The valley of Baca indicates a sandy, parched, dry valley. Not an enjoyable part. Of, you hearing me? Not an en- you on a journey with Christ right now? Well, there's, there's some parts of the journey that aren't enjoyable. And the Psalms is talking about like, hey, man, the, 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 they went through the Valley of Baca. That was not an enjoyable part of the journey. It's a reference to adversity that they would face when they made the trip. Baca can also mean weeping. This is a valley of tears. You enter into a valley like this filled with adversity, filled with tears, yet it is here. Hear it. Look at it. It is here in this valley that they experience what? Blessing. It's here in the valley of Baca, the valley of tears, the valley of hardship, the valley of parched land that they experience blessing. It is here, right? You need rain. I need rain. I need to be refreshed. I'm all dried up, God. I need you to reset my heart right now. It is here that God says, I will bring the rain. Just focus on running after me. Focus and fix your eyes and your heart on me and I will bring the rain there in the valley. He covers the Dry ground with good things, a place that is otherwise characterized by drought in your life and difficulty can become a source of spring water. (laughs) See, as we pursue the Lord and long for Him, the journey will introduce some difficult terrain. But it will not hinder us. You hear it, hear it. It will not hinder us from reaching our destination. 
our circumstances, the valleys you are in right now will and do tempt you to despair. But remember that God is your sustainer for even now by faith, right? As we just said, Christ has taken up residence in us and his presence is our sustaining source. He tells us in the end of Matthew, right, that he will be with us to the end of the age. Man, we must by faith believe him, take him by his word, right? He's not blowing smoke. You and I blow smoke. He doesn't. We can rely. He's going to be with us to the end of the age. He is with us now, taking us, as it says here, from strength to strength. Right, The valley becomes the source of God's provision. In this valley, the pilgrims are us, the pilgrim, we're the pilgrims. Our progress won't be easy. Right? Here we are strangers, pilgrims passing through in a land that is not friendly to us. And God uses the bitter, dry lands to bring about a fruitful blessing. He uses the valley of Baca to take us, and that's what from strength to strength means, to take us from one level of strength to another level. Because don't you feel when you're in the valley of Baca, right, you feel like, man, all my strength is used up. Well, do you realize that in the valley of Baca, that is actually what he intends to do, to to use up all the strength that you entered that valley with. Why? So he can take you to another level of strength in him. He can show you what it means that when you are weak, he is strong. And he does that. Those that have walked in that valley know exactly with him. Those who have walked in that valley with him know exactly what I'm talking about. When we pursue the Lord, he brings the autumn rain. He covers the valley with blessing. When the roadmap that leads to God is written on our hearts, when that is the journey that we are intent on making, church, be encouraged this morning. You can take every step with confidence. God will give us the strength needed. Every step of faith, he'll make us stronger Right? Stronger even together. And we can have confidence and hope that we will be able to appear before God in Zion, as it says there. Verse 8 and 9 tells us he is our protective shield. Read there with me or follow as I read. Lord, God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob, consider our shield. God, look on the face of your anointed one. See that? Hear my prayer, a serious prayer, isn't it? When you're in the valley, when you're on that journey, you pray some serious prayers. And we need to be a serious praying church. In other words, we need to be serious people that are serious about prayer. We must not waste time talking to ourselves. I don't know about you. But I was thinking of myself when I said that. I don't mean like, when I say ourselves, I'm not talking about talking to one another. I'm talking to myself. Literally, I talk to myself all the time. It's embarrassing, isn't it, when you get caught, like having a full out loud conversation with yourself, right? Like, it's like, oh, did you, how much of that did you hear, right? That's what you're asking. And, And so, you know, I'm not saying you don't need to do that or whatever, but I'm just saying, boy, I need to spend more time in that sort of pray without ceasing mode, talking to God. You know, because sometimes when I'm, you know, when I'm working, I think, you know, and I am alone, I'm working on something, I'm all alone, and I get to talking out loud, sort of, or, or mumble, probably more mumbling out loud, you know, and you're just saying things, and, you know, probably what I'm trying to sort through is tr- some kind of trouble that I'm facing, right? And, you know, I just need to be in prayer, So I just want to encourage that, that that's what's going on here. He's saying, hey, man, I'm reaching out to God in prayer, asking God to do things I can't do, calling on the Lord of armies, that is the mighty God who is able, right? He's the one who is powerful. He can deal with the battles I face and the ones I will face, the ones that I'm currently in. And so we're calling out, as it says there, to the God of Jacob. What is that? That's a reference to this merciful God that's looking to hear you call to him. 
the God of Jacob. That is to say, the God of mercy, because he had mercy on Jacob. You see, his commitment to intervene, right? That is the God of Jacob is saying, I'm calling out to him. Why? Because this is a God that is committed to hearing my prayer, even though it doesn't feel like it. And I have to remind myself of this, that I'm talking to the God of Jacob. And he is committed to hearing my prayer and intervening and delivering. He is able and he desires. And maybe it could be the times that I'm looking and feeling like he's not answering me because I'm wanting to be delivered from the wrong thing or I'm not realizing that he has me where he wants me and I'm not thinking about it according to this longing for him but I'm thinking about it instead according to this longing for here and so I'm calling out and I don't feel that he is intervening and delivering, but I'm saying, this text is saying, yes, he is, and yes, he will. We can seek and plead our case with him. He will help us. He is our shield. And you just run after him. The Lord of armies is on your side. And we'll close with this last point. What a privilege it is to be in the service what a privilege it is to be in service in his presence. So this is all about being in the presence of God. And so I like to just make sure we understood that. Like, not just being in service. So just service, I think, is written on the back of your notes. But what I want us to put around that is it's, it's service in his pre- I want to be in service in his presence. That's meaningful service. Just out there spinning my wheels doing something. It's just a busybody. I don't want to be a busybody even if it's really nice busybody things. Right? I want to be in service for his kingdom and for his purposes. And so we read there. Better a day in your courts, verse 10 if you're following, than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He doesn't withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you. Lord of armies. You know, when I'm weak and weary and, I, and I'm able to snap out of it, or, or at least take my weak and weariness and, and look to the Lord and I, and I let, him, let him speak to me from his word that he is trustworthy. Let him, and I let him speak to me from his word that he is able, that he is the king of kings, that he is powerful, that he goes before me, that, that he is sovereign and powerful and over, that he sees not just my day but my tomorrow. When, I, when I'm weary and weak and I let him speak those things to me, like then that I begin to say, oh, I can trust. I can trust him. I can trust him. And in that trusting, right, I become happy. I literally, like it buoys my soul. I go from like going into that moment really low, right, Lord? And I, but then I let him speak that, and it's like, it's all right, man. The Lord of armies is on my side. That wasn't the point, the point that we're in now, I guess. That was the point the Spirit, I maybe, prayerfully wanted to communicate, but we're talking about being in the service of God, right? Okay, so we're ending with this point of service of God, well, I'll say this, we've got to trust why that connects is I want to be in service in His presence and to be in service in His presence in an effective way, I need to be able to trust Him, right? Maybe I'll trust Him because I can thrive in service then. But when I'm doubting because of my weary, because of my valley of Baca and overwhelmed, right, I can't. I, I'm not thriving. I'm not trusting. But, so I've got to land there in that place of trust. Right? Okay. So here, service of God versus service in the world. That's what we see here as we close. Take this with you. Service of the world might pay more. All right? Think of it. I want you to think of this. If you're 
you know, however old you are, think of it, because you little ones right now, all right, every one of you, little and middle, you know, wherever you're at, all right, tweens, okay, teens, wherever you're at, hear this, okay, because you're planning your careers, you're thinking about what you want to do, and so oftentimes it's like what's guiding your next career move or for the little ones, what's guiding your first career move, your desires. Service of the world might pay more. It might provide more earthly rewards and it tempts us to see happiness here. But the psalmist, psalmist, the psalmist is saying, if I had a choice, look there, Verse 10 to the end. If I had a choice, the highest position of power and status and respect in this life or the lowest position in service to God and service to Christ, what does he say? If I had a choice, I'll take the lowest. Right? What is it? He said, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. Okay? But that's what it's getting at. That's what he's communicating. He said, I'll take the lowest position, right, if it's in service to the King of Kings, the Lord of Armies. I give me a shovel, a tiny apartment, right? If it's working for Jesus and being in the company of his church, you can take the suite on the boulevard. You can have all this, all this world, but just give me Jesus, right? right? We wanted to find service as in his presence. I'd rather stand at the threshold, it says there. I would rather be in the lowest position in the house than be in, hear this, I'd rather be in the lowest position in his house than be in charge of my own house. (laughs) Better a day in his courts than a thousand anywhere else. One day with him sustains me for a thousand days. (laughs) Well, you can lose your life in service to God. Well, there is a cost and a sacrifice. See, that's the reality. Do you see that? You can lose your life in service to God. He doesn't promise it'll be easy. You can lose your finances in service to God. You can lose it all in service to God. There is a cost and sacrifice to following Christ. It is, but, but in, in light of that still, it is the only safe and honorable service option. As we see there in verse 11, he is our son and our shield. And in him there is protection and favor. We can trust the Lord to deliver on this permanent residence. To provide all the things that we need. To get us through the valley of Baca. To take us from strength to even more strength. And on and on and on. I encourage you to meditate on this psalm this week. To be refreshed by it. To experience the the assurance that comes with the promises that are in it. That if you set your heart on pilgrimage, He will be your sustainer. He will take care of you. And nothing, anyone, can stop it. Right? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises here in this text. Just that we see how our focus on you and living for your purposes, how it enables us to rise above the difficulties we face in this life. Lord, how also it enables us to, to not get entangled in our in the recurring sin in our life, that we can come out of that cycle as we fixate on you. It's Lord, we confess that it's when we try to make this place home, when that becomes 
when things rooted here become our ultimate desires, Lord, then we begin to sin against others to protect those desires. And we panic and go frantic when those are under, we feel those are under attack, attack or, or threatened in any way. So in that we're tempted to sin against each other and Lord, we're tempted to worry and fear. But God, as we fix our eyes and heart on, on you and being fully satisfied in you, Lord, we have assurance that you will do that, that you will satisfy us, that you will fill us, that you will provide a room for us, that you have, and you will give us everything that we need and have given us everything already. In Christ. Lord, may we be encouraged by these truths. May each one in here be encouraged by these truths. Encouraged to, to face the sin that they're in. Knowing that you can help them to overcome. And experience the, may they experience the, the fruit of repentance. And those that find themselves in a valley for, for other reasons that God, that you can, you will, as they fix their eyes on you, give them the refreshing spring water they need right now in this hour of trouble. And God, we ask that you would do that, that they would experience your presence even now, and experience your sustaining power and hand even now. In Jesus' name, amen.